Welcome to Riverbend Church's podcast, and thanks for listening. Riverbend is a church in Hernando, Mississippi, that is focused on our calling to restore the community around us. For more information, visit rbhernando.church. We hope you enjoy the message. One statement, any statement for that matter, can speak volumes. One statement can speak volumes. It's not even the words of the statement. It, it could be the force used to state it, the acceptance or the rejection of that statement of those words, the confession or the belief in it. They all matter. Statements spoken are strong. Statements that, that build up. Statements that tear down. Statements after a question like, will you marry me? Statements with one word, yes. Statements with one word, no. We live daily making, hearing, communicating statements. Statements like, I love you. Statements like, I hate you. Get out. You did a great job. Way to go. Thank you for serving. Every one of these statements you and I have spoken, you and I have heard, you and I know of, and today I want us to look at three statements. Three statements in one day's time. And I want you to see, as we look at these three statements, and and we kind of dissect them, we diagram them, we look at them intently, I want you to see which of these three statements do you find yourself in. If you have a copy of God's Word, turn to the Gospel of Mark. And in the Gospel of Mark, we will spend some time in chapter 14, and we'll also spend some time in chapter 15. So Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 60 of that chapter. Try to lay some context or some groundwork to this scene. Jesus has been arrested. Jesus is escorted from the Garden of Gethsemane away from his followers in chains. He is brought before a group of religious leaders, the Sanhedrin. He is tried. They send him away. They bring him back. And and in that bringing back, they question him some more. And that is where we pick up the event. Mark chapter 14, verse 60 down through verse 64 reads as following. The high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? Let's pause there. They had brought in some false witnesses and they were not meshing their their accounts of what they were uh, charging or challenging Jesus with they were not meeting the same 
One said this, another said that, and they did not jive. But they were bringing those accusations up against Jesus. But he, verse 61, he remained silent. And he made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the blessed? And here's the statement. Jesus said, I am. I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. Skip down to chapter 15. And let's look in chapter 15 in verse number 12, I believe. In chapter 15, we pick up there in verse number 12 and we see a second statement. And Pilate again said to them, then what shall I do with the man that you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And then skip down just one more time. And let's read a third and final passage in the chapter. Starting in verse 34, I believe it states this. You'll see the verses on the screen. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait. Let us see whether Elijah will come down and take him down. Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And here's the third statement that we will look at today. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way, saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the event of the crucifixion is massive. Lord, you know that. You know this event that took place almost 2,000 years ago. This event. is the pinnacle. It is the summit of all of creation. Father, for those here today, those that hear this message, God, may we, may we be challenged this morning on these three statements. May we be challenged by this event that took place 
Father, may you show up in the hearts and in the lives of these that are here. May we be honest. May we be honest with you how we answer these statements as we look at them, where we stand in these statements. But Father, even more clearly than that, would you show yourself in these statements so that we might see with eyes, we might hear with our ears what all you have done for us, Jesus. God, I ask that you would meet with us, every man, every woman, every student, God, that you would speak clearly this morning, I pray in Christ's name, amen. Statements made define the cross event along with our lives today. Statements made define the cross event along with our lives today. Three statements for us this morning. The first statement is this, and we see it in that first point that's there on the screen. The first statement is, a true statement seen as false. A true statement seen as false. The question is asked of Jesus the Christ. Are you the Christ, Son of the Blessed? And Jesus says, I am. To the ears of those in the room that night, it was blasphemy. They had been waiting for him to open his mouth. They had been waiting for this moment for some three years. There had been those who were gnashing their teeth. There had been those who were wishing and wanting this to already take place. And it is now coming. Questions, witnesses brought in. Please just find him guilty and let's be done with him. And out of his own mouth, they hear the answer they have been waiting for. A statement. A statement. Are you the Christ? Well, let's figure out who the Christ is. The Christ is this person. The one who is the anointed one. The one who is the Messiah. The one who is going to take away the sins of the world. They knew that from the moment that they could read. The moment that they could listen to their moms and dads and comprehend it. It had been in them as toddlers all the way up until manhood and womanhood. Over and over and over and over again. We hear the question, the question that the high priest asked to blame him. We see in him, we hear in him a question that I'm sure even some of, if not all of us have asked our own selves. Are are you truly the Christ? Are, Are you really who you say you are? The priests were having a rough time making charges stick. They sold the lies about Jesus, yet they could not get their false witnesses to even get their stories straight. Jesus then asked point blank, and he answers with a statement, I am. You know, Mark's gospel is not the gospel that is known for the I am statements. 
John's gospel is the one who is known for all of the I am statements, eight I am statements throughout the gospel of John. But here we have the ultimate statement from Christ. I am. Are you the Christ? I am. And how you deal with that statement, how you answer that statement will define your life. Immediately, as they hear those words, I am, there is a euphoric and a demonstrative gasp all at the same time. In their minds, the priest, the Sanhedrin, they have him. It's over. They are so excited, yet at the same time, they, they are they are stumbling, fumbling, trying to get all their ducks in a row for this execution to happen. In doing it, though, they take that true statement that Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God, states, and they believe it as a lie. The statement is true. The religious leaders believe it to be false. They sentence him to death. This one statement by Jesus, I am, changes everything. It's the culmination of the whole Old Testament. Stick with me for just a few more moments. From the first words, in the beginning, God. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. All the way to the moment that there is a the start of a 400 year silence from God with the words out of Malachi chapter 4 when he states this, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction, period. And after that sentence, 400 years of silence. From the beginning of the Old Testament to the end of the Old Testament, this moment is culminating those words. And in those words, in the Old Testament, there are over 300 prophecies about the coming Messiah. You say, Brian, is that a lot? Is that a lot of, of prophecies about one man? Well, let me break it down for you and let's see if you think it's a lot. In the Old Testament, there are 39 books. From Genesis to Malachi, 39 books. There are 929 chapters in the Old Testament. All put together, there are 929 chapters and over 300 prophecies about the one Messiah. There are over 27,000 verses in the Old Testament and 300 of them speak definitively, directly of the Messiah's coming. Mathematically speaking, mathematically speaking, for one person, for one person to answer eight of these prophecies, not, not all 300 plus, some say there's 355, others say 351, but, but let's just say there's 300 plus prophecies of the Messiah coming. And for one person to fulfill eight of them, 
it is one in the 100 quadrillion of possibilities. Just eight of them. Not, not 300 of them, not 50 of them, not 48. We'll look at 48 for one person to fulfill 48 of the prophecies. It's one to the chance of 10 with 157 zeros behind it. And for one person to fulfill all 300 plus prophecies, the number is so astronomical. It's only Jesus. The statement is seen as false and Jesus is led to the cross to die. And every one of those present in Jerusalem that day and every one of us present today we have that same question in our minds. And at some time, at some point, you will have to answer and respond to the question. Is Jesus who He says He is? A statement is not only seen, a, sta- a true statement is not only seen to be false, but we see a second statement. A second statement We see it there in Mark chapter 15. It's a sad statement proclaimed as exuberant praise. There could be a couple of different statements that we look at in this passage out of uh, verse 34 through 39. It could be Pilate saying, what shall I do with them that call the king of the Jews? And they say, crucify him. And all the more they say, crucify him. That's the one that we will look at. Or it could be that last verse, verse 15. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. Having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. But the statement, crucify him. Isn't it funny how fast culture changes? Isn't it sad how fast culture changes? Think about it. In less than a week, in less than a week's time, similar crowd, same place, coming into Jerusalem, in the midst of Jerusalem, they were crying, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Same crowd, same place. They're throwing palm branches down. They're covering the mud holes with their coats so that he will not be dirty. The same crowd, same people go from singing Hosanna to yelling crucify. Isn't it something how fast culture changes? Crucify him. Six days ago, they were wanting to put him on a throne. They were wanting to exalt him physically to the point that they would praise him and worship him. And now, six days later, they want the most excruciating death possible. Did something change in those six days with Jesus? Did did he just switch gears and start preaching something totally different? No. He did not. 
He continued to preach the same. He continued to love the same. He continued to heal the same. He continued to walk the same. Yet they changed in six days from praise to crucify. In his book on moral revolution, Albert Moeller quotes a British theologian. The British theologian is Theo Hobson speaking about moral change and the change of a culture. A change that you and I see every single passing day. Here's what Hobson states about moral revolutions that occur. Three points about them. First, something that was nearly universally condemned is now universally celebrated. For a moral revolution to happen, something that was condemned is now celebrated. You pick whatever cultural point you want to over the last 50 years and you see, does it answer these three things? Once it was condemned and now it's celebrated. That brings change. That brings revolution. And then the moral revolution. Second, we see not only that, but that which was celebrated is now condemned. And a final point that brings about this moral revolution. Those who refuse to celebrate what once was condemned and is now celebrated, they are condemned themselves. Look at any news website that you choose any day of the week and you will see that taking place. You'll see it taking place if you want to find it on the left. You will see that taking place if you want to find it on the right. No matter the side, no matter red or blue, no matter Democrat or Republican, no matter United States or another country, you will see those things taking place and moral revolution happening. Because things that were once Condemned are now celebrated. Those things that were celebrated are now condemned. And those who refuse to celebrate, they too are condemned. You take the moments of this week here in Mark's Gospel from the time that he was praised to the time that he is being crucified. And you see those things being unpacked. They were celebrating him. Now they're condemning him. Those that were around him are now scattered because they want to condemn them too. Revolution happens. The statement is in front of you and the statement is in front of me. Crucify him. How do you respond to him today, sir? How do you respond to him? How do we praise him? How do we state over and over and over again with our words and with our lives to crucify him? Are you adoring him or are you rejecting him? The answer to this question for you and for me, how you and I respond to the actions, how you and I respond to the life, the death of Jesus determines our eternity. That's not stated to scare you. That's not stated to get you to decide one way or the other. That is stated as a fact. How you Respond to Jesus. 
determines where you and I will spend forever. So what is your response? What is your response to this one who went to the cross some 700 years before he was born? Isaiah wrote in Isaiah chapter 53 words about him. Prophecies about this Messiah. He was despised, verse verse 3 states. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with our wounds We are healed. He died for you. He died for you. He was beaten for you. Your sin brought those stripes on His back. My iniquity... My iniquity, my transgression, your iniquity, your transgressions. That is why he was mocked. That's why he was nailed to a cross. He paid your price. And how you and I respond to him will determine where you spend forever. Parents, what will you say of Jesus? Will it be sad or will it be a praise? Will it be an awe or will it be a rejection? Students, what will you say of Jesus? Will you accept who He is? Will you reject Him? What will you say of Jesus? Final statement is we look at in Mark's Gospel, chapter 15, look down at Verse 39, Jesus has breathed his last. He is dead. And a soldier who stood facing him saw that in this way he had breathed his last. Here's the statement. Truly, this man was the Son of God. When he saw it unfolding in front of him. When he saw the pain and the suffering, yes. When he, when he saw the, the last moments of his life. And as he's looking there, up at the cross. And Jesus breathes his last. This man. This man who was there for his job. This man whose job was to to torture. This man whose job was to make sure that there was no riot. This man looking at the cross and looking at the lifeless body of Jesus 
sees life. He sees life. He says, this man surely was the Son of God. If you look at this statement, Really, it's just an answer to those first two statements that have already been made. Maybe that man was there for the first two statements. Maybe he wasn't, but he is responding back to both of those statements that we've looked at. Truly, he was the Son of God. Love him, and he'll give you life. He will give you life right now. He will give you life abundantly. He will give you life forever and ever and ever. Reject Him. And He will allow you and He will allow me, He will allow us to to go the other direction. And we will have an eternity away from Him. The centurion responds to the statement, truly, he is the Son of God. And in that statement, he receives life. Earlier, Jesus stated it this way in John's Gospel, in John chapter 10, verse 10, he says to you and me, he says to his disciples and his followers in that day, I have come, River Bend. I have come that you might have life. You might have it abundantly. You might have life right now. Abundant life. You might have life forever. Abundant life. The reason that I am here, the reason that I left heaven's throne, Jesus says, is that I might give you life. And how you respond to the statements. Are you the Christ? Are you the son of the blessed? I am. What do you want me to do with him? Crucify him. He's breathed his last. Truly. He is the son of God. How will you respond? Earlier in my prayer, I stated that that moment... Almost 2,000 years ago was the moment of the summit of the pinnacle of all of creation. The events of that day that took place then, right outside the camp, outside Jerusalem, changed everything. And it still does today. How you respond, how you and I live our lives because of those moments, that moment. How we spend our moments changes everything. How will you respond to his death for you? Father, I come. God, I'm so thankful. I'm thankful that you in your wisdom, I'm thankful that you in your grace, in your love, you chose to die, Jesus, for me. I don't deserve it. I never will deserve it. There's nothing that I can do to, to pay you back for the price that you paid for me, for 
us. You bled and died. You were rejected because of me. Thank you. Father, would you make this real for every single person in the room? Whether up to this moment they have rejected you or up to this moment they have already accepted you as Savior and Lord, would you drive this home? The events of that day change everything. And might we live that way? God, would you move? Draw us close. May we hear you for the first time today. Spirit, you have stated in John's Gospel that you came to convict the world of sin. Would you do that right now in this place? May we trust you, Jesus, for today and for forever. I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. We've come to a time of response. Maybe you need to respond right where you are. Please do so. Maybe you want to come forward and just bow at the altar. You come, bow. Maybe you need to pray with me. I'll be more than happy to pray with you. But as we respond, would you join us, stand and sing as Alex leads us. You have been listening to the latest message from Riverbend Church. We hope you enjoyed it. Live Sim.